This morning we are in the end of Romans chapter 13, and I am uh, very, very grateful that Pastor Dale took the beginning of Romans chapter 13. Um, very grateful. So thank you, Pastor Daryl, for taking that uh, lovely, lovely first part of Romans 13 last week. Uh, Paul, he, he had just finished talking about how the church in Rome should live together as a community, celebrating a, a diversity of gifts, loving one another, showing, showing stewardship, resisting revenge. It was about how the church was to live together to do life together, and how that would impact both the church inside the walls of the church as well as those outside the walls of the church. And then uh, last week, Pastor Darrell unpacked the, the authority of the government and how we're supposed to respond to that, how, how we live as, as a people within a structure that, that's bigger than ourselves. Today we're looking at the ways in which we're called to interact with or, or to love our, our neighbors. Paul, he, he gives some pretty strong words about obligation, about uh, orientation, and about the ways we operate with those with, with whom are, we, we live among, those who are our neighbors. So we'll, re, we'll be reading from the message this morning, and I, and I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates this passage, starting at verse 8 of chapter 13. Don't run up debts, except for the huge debt of love you owe each other. When you love others, you complete what the law has been after all along. The law code, don't sleep with one another's spouse, don't take someone's life, don't take what isn't yours, don't always be wanting what you don't have, and any other don't you can think of. It finally adds up to this. Love other people as well as you do yourself. You can't go wrong when you love others. When you add up everything in the law code, the sum total is love. But make sure that you don't go so you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day to day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over, dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when, he, when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute. We must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around in dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't, lo- don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up, be up and about. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I have always found myself to be an aspiring morning person. Can I get an amen? Amen. An aspiring, aspiring morning person, meaning that that when I'm disciplined and actually go to bed on time, uh, I can wake up in the morning. I can be a morning person. The truth is, there's there's nothing quite like being the first one awake in the house. You know, awake before the sun rises, before the noise of the day has begun. Those moments to kind of take a breath and say, "Ah," before everything gets going. But when I was younger, those aspirations didn't exist at all. I loved to sleep. Can I get another amen? 
My parents and sisters still remind me of, of the night where there was a massive earthquake and they all jumped out of bed and they got in the door jams and what did I do? I slept. I didn't even know there was an earthquake. I didn't even know there was an earthquake. I wasn't startled at all. So when I read Paul's words at the start of this, this passage, the hour has come for you to awake from your slumber. They hit home a bit. I'm, I'm jolted. It's a, a jarring phrase that, that's meant to bring Christians out of the comfort of our beds, away from those idealistic dreamlands, and into the challenges of the real world. Wake up from your slumber. Now there are some mornings where I wake up on my own, but more often than not, I wake up to this lovely sound. I actually uh, heard that sound about three times this morning before, before I, I got out of bed. And I, and I love how over time phones and alarm clocks, they've tried to, tried to make the alarm that wakes us up a little slightly less annoying as if, as if, as if it's just kind of, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm asleep. I'm asleep now. I'm going to wake up to this nice kind sound. The truth is from time to time, we all need help waking up. Whether it's from sleep, whether it's from one destructive pattern or another, or whether it's awakening to the realities of the world around us. One of the reasons that I, I enjoyed our trip to Tijuana last weekend, I kind of mentioned it during the, during the welcome, is that it reminded me of the, the joy that comes from getting out of our comfort zone. The joy that comes from getting out of our comfort zone and going and serving others as Christ has called us to do. It's waking up. So Paul invites the church in Rome to, to snap out of their slumber. And in doing so, he reminds them and us of, of three realities. First, he, he highlights our obligation as followers of Christ. About a year ago, I took our kids to an evening out at their elementary school that was hosted by the, the, the PTA. Now, Haley uh, assumed that uh, I, I could pay for this event with a credit card. Everything we read said, hey, we can pay for this event with a credit card. So, of course, I didn't bring any cash. The world was just kind of opening back up. It was the first event the PTA had had. So, of course, they wouldn't be using cash. They'd be using cards. And of course, I got to the front of the line, and what did I discover? Cash only. We were standing in line talking with other people, and our kids were, were enjoying getting to be together around the school at a fun event. So we didn't figure out until we got to the front. The event was about to start, and another parent who, who I hadn't met saw that I was flustered. And she ran over to me and said, hey, hey, are you Ella's dad? I've heard a lot about her. And... What's wrong? Here, I've got some cash. Would you mind to borrow it? I thanked her, assured her we would pay her back. But then every time I saw her for the next week or two, of course, I wasn't carrying any cash. Can anybody relate to that sort of story? Thank you. Thank you. Even if the other person doesn't bring it up, you know. You know. And you have two options. You can kind of try to hide. Oh, hi. Good to see you. 
and, and go your way. Or you can walk up and say, so I know I said this the last three times I saw you. I don't have any cash again. Even if it doesn't bother the other person, you kind of feel that, that pain. At the beginning of chapter 13, Paul writes about the, the obligations to pay taxes. He's talking about the authority of the government. And, and then he turns to, to personal finances. But he turns to personal finances really as an illustration. He says, don't be the person who carries debts and owes your friends money. But you should continue feel a, to feel a debt of a different sort. You should continue to feel a, a debt of a, a different sort. A debt to love one another. That feeling you have when you see a person that you may borrowed something from and you forgot, or someone who lended you money and you forgot to pay it back, that, that obligation that we feel to pay them back or to return what is theirs, we should feel something stronger when it comes to loving our neighbors. In the Gospels, when the Pharisees try to snap or try to trap Jesus but by questioning him about what the, the greatest commandment is, he says that all the prophets and the law, they hang on, on two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Paul is using that same rationale right here in this text. He, he highlights a few of the commandments. You remember the, the don'ts. He highlights the commandments from the Mosaic law. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't, don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't covet. He, he starts the list that the people would have known. And then he says, really? Just get back to loving your neighbor. That's what it's about. Can, can you just get back to loving your neighbor? You are obligated to love your neighbor. The reason Paul puts such a premium on the way we love is because it, it needs to continuously stay in front of us, especially when it's uncomfortable, especially when you feel that pang of, oh, do I have to do this? Yes. Yes, we do. It's a reminder for Christ followers to wake up to the reality that sometimes we fall asleep on the job. Then Paul moves on to the reality of our orientation. Driving across the border last week and reminded me of uh, another story, something that happened earlier in my life, a, a few months after my sister got her, her driver's license. Owen, you, you can't sit back here to hide. I can call out you even when you're back here. Owen just got his driver's license. Um, yeah, congratulations, Owen, for getting your driver's license. Uh, our family was having dinner at a friend's house that was north of where we lived in San Diego. And uh, my, my sister had her driver's license just for a couple weeks. She was going to drive and meet us after we had already gotten there. And instead of going north on the freeway from our house, she went south on the freeway from our house. And she drove for quite a while. She called our friend's house in tears from a payphone. High schoolers, you know what that is? From, she, she, called, she called from the payphone that was at the last exit before the U.S. border. And like any good little brother, I've never let her hear the end of it. But when I got my license and I started driving, and this was before phones, before GPSs, I realized that if you don't have a, a way to orient yourself as you drive around, it's really easy to get lost. It's really easy to get lost. So Paul, he calls the church in Rome to, to understand the present time through the lens of their salvation. That orientation point is their salvation. Our 
orientation point as we love others in the world today is our salvation. Now, like many of his contemporaries, Paul was convinced that the second coming of Christ could happen at any moment and likely believed that it was coming during his lifetime. So when we read that he write what he writes in verse 11, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It's easy to think, well, Jesus obviously didn't return then. Why should we think we're any closer today than than Paul was and the Roman church was when he wrote the letter to them? What does this mean? Now, Jesus was clear that none of us can know the time and the date of his return. But he was also abundantly clear that we should be prepared when it arrives. So in Luke 15, Jesus tells the the three lost parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and, and the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son. And at the end of each of those parables, when what was lost is found, there's a party. There's a celebration. They're, these lost stories, really, at, at the heart of them, they're salvation stories. And they're illustrating, among other things, that God is constantly, constantly searching for God's people. That God is always working to draw us back to Him. So when Paul writes, salvation is nearer now than when we first believed... He's inviting us to remember that God is constantly searching for us, that we've been found by Christ, and that we can use that truth to orient or to guide where we are today. As we look at all the challenges that the world faces today, that we face today, that our salvation is the point through which we see everything else, the lens through which we see everything else. In verse 12, he writes, The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Here we get to the reality of operation. And he says, basically, there's, there's two ways of operating. You, you can uh, put aside the, the deeds of darkness, or you can put on or clothe ourselves in Christ. On November 13th, 354 A.D., one of the most brilliant minds of all time was born to a Christian woman and a a pagan father who was a Roman official in northern Africa. He was born during a, a period of time where Rome as a nation was on the decline and where Christianity was on the rise. After studying Latin grammar and literature, he dove into philosophy And he opened a school of rhetoric when he was only 19 years old. He was baptized in the church, but after studying philosophy, he he kind of abandoned his faith. He became a bit promiscuous. He respected his mom and her faith. You know, he was the sort of person, I'll go, I'll go on Christmas, mom. I'll go on Christmas. I respect what you believe. But he loved his lifestyle. He loved his lifestyle that he had really gained because of his notoriety as a, a well-known educator and philosopher. Then one day he was, he was out in his garden and he was, uh, he was working his garden. He heard the voice saying, take and read. He picked up a Bible. He opened it to the first passage that he saw. And it was Romans 13, 13 and 14. 
He heard, he heard the child's voice, take and read, and he, he flips to this passage. Let us behave decently. As in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. When he later recounted that day when he was working in the garden, when he opened up to this text, he wrote at once with the last words of this sentence. It was as if a light of relief from all of the anxiety I had felt flooded into my heart. All the shadows of doubt were dispelled. We now know that man to be St. Augustine. His thinking and writing may have shaped Christian thought uh, more than than any other writing outside of, of the New Testament. When Paul asks Christians to behave decently, he's talking about issues that were common in Roman society. Common in Roman society. And St. Augustine's writings confirm that the issues Paul addressed were still issues in Rome some 300 years later. And let's be honest, some of those issues are still issues for us in today's world as well. And Paul writes, wake up. You have two options. You can either operate under those, those, those issues, those deeds, excuse me, those deeds of darkness, or you can make a conscious choice every day to put on the armor of light and to clothe yourself with Christ. Years after his conversion, Augustine was reflecting on the moment he heard that child's voice. And he wrote a simple prayer. He wrote, You have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Now, I don't know how many of us use alarm clocks anymore or use our phones, but my hope is that every time each of us wakes up in the morning, we sense that sort of restlessness that Augustine, Augustine wrote about in his prayer. May we awake to the realities of our obligation to love others, to having our, our salvation be the lens that, that really is how we see the rest of the world through which we see the rest of the world. And as we clothe ourselves in Christ each day. Let's pray. Loving God, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Remind us each and every day of the reality that we are loved and that we are called to love. We pray these things in your name. Amen.